and grab a seat. I am 11 excited out of a one to 10, so very excited to be here. Why don't you go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see that we are continuing in a series called Dollar Sign Question Mark, Money Questions. And what we want to do is try to pick apart some questions that surround money and how money relates to following Jesus and what it looks like in faith and, and where's money and how does it all fit together. Last week, by the way, we began the, the series with the question. It's kind of the, the beginning of the whole thing. Uh, how much money do I need to be content? And we, we wrestled with that as, as a sort of, we took a look at surveys, we took a look at scripture, we, we sort of pulled apart the philosophy that there is a dollar amount that equals contentment. And we realized that, that, that it's an invalid question. It's not a good question to ask. And, and, and the key to contentment is actually living that with God life that we talked about just a few moments ago. So if you would, look at this scripture, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Circle that. From the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So the contentment is located in that last phrase, if you want to underline it, the with God life, recognizing that God is going to be with us. He's never going to leave. He's never going to forsake us. So that's where we can put our hope and our trust. That's where the contentment lies. And again, it's the love of money that's the problem, not money, but the, the heart enamored by money. That's where the problem lies. And we talked a little bit last week about margin, how we end up feeling wealthy is when there's more margin in our lives financially. Most of us don't have much margin. That's why none of us feel very wealthy. And then last week, we did something at Overlake that we have not done in the history of our church. Never one time has it been done in the history of our church, what we did last Sunday. And if you missed it, you're going to have to go online and find out. All right. So really, and it's so fun. I got a chance to hear from so many of you this week about how you were encouraged and challenged by last week's message. How much money does it take for me to be content? And the answer is that question, it does not equate, does not compute. Okay. Today, the question we want to take a look at is how much money is God's? And in order to answer that question, we're going to have to take a peek at God's portfolio. And so that's what we're going to start with today. We're going to open up the books. We're going, to, we're going to take a look. What is it that God has under his name? What, how, you know, how does this all equate in terms of his perspective? And he says this in Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11. For all the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains. And all the animals of the field are mine. Is that, so he's saying, hey, I got a lot. I got, you know, the herds and I got the cattle. I got, you know, all the animals. I don't know how much animals are necessarily equated, but God's got them all, right? They're his. And then this summer, which we had a beautiful summer this summer, one night I was out walking with my dog and I kind of crested this hilltop on a moonless evening. And so I could just see stars just, I mean, it was amazing. The sky just covered with the starlight, and, and I remembered that I had seen a picture once of the spiral arm of the Milky Way galaxy where our solar system is, and our sun as one of the stars in that arm, and it was kind of highlighted so that, so that I could pick out which star was our star, 
that, that we, you know, are revolving around it. And what was interesting to me is to note in that picture, where, you know, where our sun was, that it was, it's a very average star. It's really just an everyday, ordinary, kind of a Wednesday type of a star, right? <laughs> and so it got me thinking about, you know, how is it that galaxies put together? And, and so I started doing some research, and, and I did the, the research this week just to refresh my thinking on all this. I found out that the Milky Way galaxy is just one of 100 galaxies in the local supercluster of galaxies. In other words, there are 100 clusters of galaxies around us that we are a part of. And, and I was like, well, how big is the Milky Way galaxy? How many stars are in it? And the answer is there are, scientists estimate, between 100 billion and 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. That's our galaxy. Between 100 and 400 billion, which is, I think, a lot. And, and, and then, uh, uh, so I was interested, well, how many galaxies are there in the universe? And the estimate of how many galaxies there are is 10 trillion galaxies, give or take, just a few. You know, like it's, these are, these are best guesses. These are, these are guesstimates based on, you know, all kinds of great stuff I don't know anything about. But it brought up the question, which I know every third grader asks at one point or every kindergarten, how many stars are there in the universe? And there is a scientist named Komreich, who has come up with an equation and, and just the, the mathematical skills to, to get at what is sort of the, the universal understood number of how many stars there are in the universe. And the answer is 100 octillion stars, or as you know, a one with 29 zeros after it. Now, I've never done it, but it, I guess that it would take quite a bit of time to count that high. Right? That's a lot of stars, 100 octillion stars, 10 trillion galaxies. We're just one galaxy, one spiral arm of the Milky Way. We've got one regular, ordinary, everyday star, and around that, a little lump of dirt called the Earth circling, and me, just a little speck of dirt on that lump. And I realized that the stars did for me exactly what the Bible says they would. They would remind me of the vastness of God, and they would remind me of the smallness of myself. Right? And that's what the, the scripture says here. Uh, it says, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. And, and, and really, it, it, it all sort of hones down to this question of, of what is God? How much is God? What, you know, what's, what's God worth, basically? And, and I just, I want you to see that, that you're a hundred octillion stars. The, you know, real estate has, has a, a price to it. There, there's a cost to real estate. And all of the real estate on earth and all of the real estate in the universe, it's all God's. And, you know, energy is a good thing to invest in. And energy is one of the things that people fight over. And everybody wants cheaper energy and better energy. And I want you to understand that every energy source in the universe is God's. That he owns it all. You, you thought Bill Gates had a nice portfolio. God's portfolio is incredible, right? It's everything. And, and that's what the scripture says here, Psalm 24:1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell within. 
Friends, God's portfolio is massive. It is all-encompassing. It's everything. But it brings me to point number two. It's equally true. God's heart is a generous heart. So yes, God owns it all, but we have a God whose heart is incredibly generous, a God who longs to lavish his creation, to lavish his children with goodness and, and with love and with laughter and, and you know, uh, great experiences and relationships of love and, and all provision and all of the blessing that we've ever enjoyed. It's all come from the generous hand of God. So yeah, God owns it all, but God's very, very generous with us. And I want to look at a passage. We, we talked a little bit about Timothy last week. Timothy was a young man that the Apostle Paul was mentoring. And, and Timothy wanted to be a great uh, leader of a congregation. He wanted to, to lead and, and to steward well the church that God had placed him in. And so the Apostle Paul was his teacher, teaching him how to be a great minister in his day. And, and, and these are the words, some of the words that the Apostle Paul used to instruct Timothy on how Timothy was to instruct his church. And he says this. He says, teach those who are rich in this world... Well, stop right there. Most of us are like, well, that's not me. That's somebody else. That's, that's I can skip this part, right? Because teach those who are rich. Well, if I was rich, I'd sure read it. But I, since I'm not rich, I can just pass. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week and sort of the problem with our perspective on that. But so again, just skip that. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. Why, why would Paul... Tell Timothy to teach people who are rich not to be proud. Oh, it's maybe because people who are rich in this world struggle with pride. And there's this weird thing that happens, and I know you've noticed this, where if someone has money, if, if, their, if their net worth is quite high, then when they say something, everybody listens to it. And, and so there's this deference of opinion always and everybody's listening and everybody's treating really well and everybody's trying to honor the person whose net worth is great and, and pretty soon that kind of treatment can impact somebody the way they think about things and the way they think about themselves. And I would say this, like maybe you are smart and good and rich, but I guarantee you that being rich did not make you smart and good. Okay? And yet that's somehow what happens in, in, in a person's thinking is they think, oh, I, I have all this wealth. I've, I've, I've created this sense of, of uh, provision over my life. And, and look, everyone's listening to me and they're all deferring to me. So maybe I am smarter than and maybe I am better than. And that's why Paul says you've got to you you got to get in front of those people who are rich, and you, you got to help them not to be proud. So, hey, Richie, don't, don't be proud, okay? All right, that's the first thing. Then he goes on. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Why would Paul say not to trust in your money and teach those who are rich not to trust in their money? Maybe it's because the more money you have, the more in money you trust. And then Paul says, and the reason why you, you, you gotta teach them not to trust in their money is because money is untrustworthy. 
It's so unreliable. It's here today, gone tomorrow. There's, there's no way to stockpile it safely in a world that's fallen and broken like ours. And, and so if you place your trust there, you're bound to be let down at some point. How many of you remember just a few years ago, 08, 09, when the recession started, how many of you remember reading stories about people whose 401k plans, they were so meticulously saved over the course of a lifetime, suddenly devalued exponentially? Does anyone remember that? How about during that season, people who had vast real estate holdings, maybe even millions and millions in equity overnight, it's gone. And, and, and the thing is, that's just how it happens. And, and it always has and, and it always will in this world that, that riches are not worth your trust. So Paul says, so don't, you know, Timothy, if you're teaching these, these folks who are rich, teach them not to put their trust in riches. But look at this. He says, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Circle that phrase for our enjoyment. God has a generous heart and he richly gives us all kinds of things, provision. He lavishes his love out on us in, in myriad ways. And, and Paul says, and remind them that God does this. He gives us everything for our enjoyment. He delights in giving us and he delights in pouring out on us and he delights in us enjoying what he has given. That's an incredible concept. Some of you don't have a picture of God like that, but you need to because God has blessed you for your enjoyment and he enjoys seeing you enjoy. Many years ago when my kiddos were in elementary school, they were really interested in a, in a small season, they were really, really interested in Pokemon cards. Now, by show of hands, how many of you know what a Pokemon card is? Okay, so that's many of it. It's this little card, like a trading card, that kids would you know, gather and hoard and trade and put in notebooks and shoeboxes. And on each card was like an, a cartoon, an animated uh, monster. Super cute monster, but, but monster. And, and, and they would like trade these and play a game with them. And they would talk about how rare some of them were. And, oh my gosh, Matt got the ectoplasm unicorn. And all, you know, that's... And, and it's so rare, it's like worth a billion dollars and all this stuff. And, and so I'm listening to all this, his dad, <laughs> kids, you know. It's, but I'm checking out a Target one day, and in the Target checkout line by myself, I notice that there are Pokemon cards. And so I, I pick one up, and I, how much are these things? And it's like a, a buck 19 for two packs. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So, so I grab Pokemon cards, these packs for my kids. And I'm making lunch for him the next day, and I slip the Pokemon cards in, write him a little love note from Dad, and I just, I just sent them off. They didn't know. And all day long, I'm just like, I just can't wait to hear what happens. Well, I get an email from my son's teacher. <laughs> and she says, you would not believe what happened today at lunch. She said, when, when your son opened up his lunchbox and he saw that you had given him a pack of Pokemon cards, he lost his mind. <laughs> that he was running around with joy and he was showing everybody his cards and he could not stop talking about his dad had bought him these cards and sent him in, a, in his lunch and he was so happy and so excited. It broke my heart to take them away from him. <laughs> because Pokemon cards are not allowed on campus. You should know the rules, mister. 
But I, I just, I want you to see that, that idea of, you know, that's a delightful reality that is true about God's heart over you. That I delight in, in delighting my son and his delight brings me delight. And, and when God blesses us and pours out on us, he wants us to be grateful and to receive, but to have great enjoyment in what it is that God's generous heart provides. Yes, God owns it all, but God is so generous toward us. Okay, And it brings me to the next truth here, and that is God wants us to use what he's given well. He wants us to use what he's given well. And this, by the way, is the concept of stewardship. Sometimes you maybe hear that word in church or you hear that word uh, when we launch a Financial Peace University class or something like that. Stewardship. What is stewardship? It simply means using what God has given well. And if you are a parent and, and you've ever given your kids gifts, you know that sometimes you want to give your kids really nice gifts. Uh, maybe, you know, you, know you, you purchase a computer. Maybe for some of you, your kids are a little older. Maybe it's a car. And, and when you give a really nice gift, you, you, I just, I'm telling you, I know you parents, you want three things for your kids. The first thing is you do want them to enjoy the gift you've given, right? There, there's nothing more unsettling for a parent than to really go after giving your kid a nice gift and your kid to be completely ungrateful for it. Right? So, so you want your kid to enjoy it and to receive it with a grateful heart. Number two, you want your kid to take care of it. Right? No parent gives their kid a really nice gift in hope that the kid will leave it on the bus the very next day. Or a car in hopes that the kid will get in a car accident the first month. Like, no, no parent operates like that. You, you want them to enjoy the gift, but you also want them to take care of it and use it well. And then the third part of it is you want your kid to share. Whatever the gift is, you, you want them to share the gift. You want them to bring others into how good that gift is. And so, you know, if you ever hear of, you know, you, you, you buy a pool and you, you put a pool in and, and then you ever hear your kids say, you know, hey, Billy, you can't come swimming at my house. That's my pool. My dad put it in for me, not you. As a parent, you're like, oh, that's going to stop right now. No, 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 no. Yes, I gave you the gift, but part of me giving you the gift is that you would bring your friends in, that you would, you would let this be a gift, not only for you, but for many. And, and that's all a part of stewardship. God has the exact same perspective when it comes to you and I. So I, I thought, as adults, what does it mean for us to, to really use well what he has provided? And so a couple, couple of things here. Number one, dedicate it back to God. That's how we start. If we're going to use well what God has given, we dedicate it back to God. And friends, this is for our benefit, not for his. Because it's his anyway. It is all his. It's, he, he has given stuff to us. He has given time to us. He's given uh, talents to us. But we didn't earn them. We, we, we didn't come up with them. We, we just received them. We're going to use them for a limited period of time while we're alive on this earth. And then there will be a day when we leave it all behind. So it's not ours, it's his. He's given it to us, so we dedicate it back to him in the first place. And I, because it's his. And I think this is, in, in a capitalistic framework that we live in, this is what's really, really hard. Because we like to say, we might not say this, we might somewhere think it. We like to say, no, it's the sweat of my brow that earned me this. 
It was my ability. It was my strength. It was my cleverness, my contacts, my hard work. I'm the one who earned it. Therefore, I deserve it. This is mine. It's not God's. But the Bible makes it clear that kind of thinking actually is in error. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 8. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So he's the one in the first place that's given you the ability, even the strength you have, even the ability you have to produce wealth. That's from God. Your, intelligent, your intelligence is from God. You're living here in King County. Your good looks, your coolness factor, your relational skills, your actual skills, your opportunities and your ability to capitalize on opportunities. All these things are gifts from God. And they're given to you by him. And so we dedicate it back to him. But friends, I would say in an even larger sense, your very existence is a gift from God. You can't claim your own being. You didn't earn the breath in your lungs or the beating of your heart. God has nurtured your growth from a single cell into the most complex being in the universe. It's all from him. There's no need to cry. This is a great, great point. And the idea is that it's all from him. And so we don't claim any of it as our own. We just offer it all back to him willingly. Okay, and, and I know this is hard for us. I know that this is where so many of us have a rub. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to teach you just a quick prayer. You might want to write these down. We're going we're gonna to say this together as a family today, okay? So there's three lines that I want you to say, and, and it's just all I have is from you, all that I have belongs to you, and all that I have is for you. By the way, this is to God we're saying it. It's not to me, okay? This is, this is to God. But on the count of three, let's do this. Okay, this is going to be a challenge, but I want us to, to get here. We're going to say this together. One, two, three. All that I have is from you. All that I have belongs to you. All that I have is for you. Okay, that, that's the prayer. And, and again, I'm talking about more than just money. I'm talking about everything. We're, we're going to offer all of it. Our time. We're going to offer our talents. We're going to offer the, the stuff, the financial resources we have. We're going to offer our influence. We're going to offer our relationships. Everything that we have is a gift from God's hand first. And so we dedicate it back to him. The next truth here is we manage well what he gives. We want to manage well what he gives. And again, this is that part of stewardship that we're talking about. Proverbs 13.4 says this. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. Could you circle the two words, work hard? Those who work hard will prosper. And I bring this up because what I am challenging us to work hard at is managing well what he's given. If we work hard at the stewardship aspect, if we work hard at managing what it is that he's providing, you'll find that God has actually provided quite a lot for us. But we don't work hard at managing well, so often we think, well, we need more in order to... No, no, no. No, we need to be faithful with what he has already given. Right? We need to work hard there. Jesus talks about this quite a bit. Matthew 24, 45, he says, Are you a wise and faithful servant of the Lord? 
Have I given you the task of managing my household to feed my children day by day? Blessings on you if I return and find you faithfully doing your work. Right? Faithfully doing your work. Faithfully doing the things that he has entrusted to us. Managing well the things that he has placed under our care. And, and I want to be really, really clear over like God will never hold you accountable for something that he did not create or command you to do. He, he will never say, when you stand before him in heaven, he will never say, how come you didn't learn how to breathe underwater? Right? How come you didn't learn how to fly by flapping your arms? He, he'll never say that because he didn't create us or command us to do these things. However, he did create us and command us to steward well. It goes all the way back to the first chapter of Genesis you need to understand, this is a part of his, he has given us this responsibility to steward, to manage what he gives us well. And in fact, Jesus tells this incredible story. If you want to look it up, it's in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. You can read that today. You can do a little extra credit this week. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This is what's known as the parable of the talents. And a parable is just a story that Jesus tells. He tells this story about talents. And talents in that New Testament time frame, they're basically just bags of money. For us today, we think of talents as these skills that we have and can employ. But in, in the context of the scripture, he's just talking about bags of money. And he's telling this story so that we'll understand something about the way God's kingdom works. So this is what he says. He starts off in verse 14. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, five bags of money, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So you can picture the scene. The master calls some servants to him, and he begins to say, hey, I want you to take care of these things. And he gives, he gives one guy five bags of money. I want you to take these. He gives one guy two bags of money. And the third guy, he gives one bag of money. And then there's that little line, each according to his ability. Now, that's really interesting. I don't know how that lands on you, but that's really interesting because, I, you know, I, I kind of, I thought, hey, I, I mean, we're all equal, right? Like all men are created equal. That's, you know, when I read the Declaration of Independence, not that I'm reading it all the time, but when I read it, I, I see all men are created equal. And what, what, what's this each according to his ability? And, and I would just say this. Yes, we are all created equal in terms of our value. We are all created equal. In the image of God, our value, that original thumbprint of glory on every human being. We have to recognize that. But that each according to his ability means that we're also all created uniquely. That we all have unique skills and unique gifts. We all live in a unique time with unique opportunity. So there's a uniqueness as well. And what the master realizes, look, here are three of, of the guys in my household. And, and they're unique in how they're wired. So I'm going to give to each according to his uniqueness. It's interesting for me. And I don't know how it sounds, sits for you, but it, it was a little trouble for me to kind of wrestle this through because I, I I like that, that hey we're all equal we all you know and no no there's and I'll just give you one example I when I first met my friend Anna Routley I, I ha was having this conversation with her and I was asking her about where she worked and she told me that she worked in this local you know biotechnic lab something kind of a thing and 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 I asked well what do you do there and she answers well 
I, I actually, I split DNA. That's my, like kind of all day long, I'm, I'm, I'm splitting and parsing DNA strands. And, and she said, actually, I, I hold a patent on um, a machine I built that actually helps allow people to split DNA. And then she began to use these words. I was certain she was making up on the spot right there. I just, I'm just blown away. I realize I am so far out of my league intellectually. Like she is wow, way up here. And I'm like, wow, wow, way down here. And, and, and I'm like, I should stick to this, the topics I really do know, like Lord of the Rings, Seattle Seahawks, dad jokes. Like that's where I, I can hang. And, but this idea is each according to ability that there are, there's a uniqueness about everyone. The master's wise enough to see that. And so... One guy gets five bags, and what he does is he invests it well, and he stewards it well, he manages it well, so when the master comes back, the guy has turned five bags into ten bags of money. It doubled his, his, the investment. The next guy with two bags did the same thing. Starts out with two, the invested, he, you know, he, he maybe builds restaurants and, and he, you know, all this stuff, and then when the master comes back, the guy has two more bags of money, and, and then the, the third guy with one bag of money, he went, he buried it in the ground, shoved it under his mattress. He hid it in the attic. And when the master comes back, he, he goes and he digs it up and he, he brings that moldy bag of money and he, and he brings it to the master. The master is ticked. And the master says, you're a wicked servant. And he fires the guy. And, and for us, it's really hard to get our minds around. We're not seeing it maybe from God's perspective and and, and I just want you to see this. It, he's, he's being evaluated not because he blew the money. Right? We, we would totally get it if he, if he blew the money. He was like empty-handed. And the master said, well, where's the money? And the guy says, well, I blew it on prostitutes. We'd say, wicked. If, if the master says, where's the money? And the guy says, oh, I, I hired a hitman to knock out my old lady. Yeah, wicked. Like, we get it. If he says, well, you know, I bet against the Seattle Seahawks. I got nothing. And we, oh, wicked, right? We, we know what wicked looks like. But understand that from the master's perspective, it's not just the bag of money because the guy gives the same bag of money back. No, 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 no. It's what, the, what it represents. It's all the potential wrapped up in that. It's all the good that could be done with that. It's all the ways that that could have been invested into the world, into humanity, into the kingdom, that there's so much potential that he buried. And so the master says, that is not good. And then the master, in his wisdom, this is so interesting, he takes the bag of money from the one guy, the guy with one, takes it away, and he gives it to the guy who has 10 now. Right? He says, look, you were faithful with what I gave you. I'm going to give you more. And that's really the, the, the upshot of the, the, the whole story that Jesus is telling. This is how God's kingdom works, that there's a well done in it. Okay, and this is what he says. He says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share my happiness. Now, what's interesting to me about this is how you and I sometimes think. We think, if I had more, then I'd be faithful. And what Jesus says is just the opposite. When you are faithful, then I'll give you more. 
And, and, and the reason why this story that Jesus tells just absolutely kills me, drives me, is what, what does he say to the one who does well? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, I don't know about you, but when my time on earth is over and I enter eternity to be with the Lord, those are the words I want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I don't just want that for me. I want that for all of us. I want all of us to hear those words. So that's why we're going over this stuff. Okay, last question we're going to tackle this morning. How much of my money should I give to God? How much of my money should I give to God? And right away, you know, total trick question, right? Pastor's just being bogus. Why? Why is he, why is he trying to, he, first he tries to equate money and contentment. Now he's trying to say, how much of my money should I give? To? We've already covered it, right? It's not your money. It's God's money to begin with. It, it's from him and, and it belongs to him and it's for him. And so even the phrase, my money, is a nonsense phrase in the kingdom of God. So, so yeah, we can't think like that. It's not my money that I'm giving to God. What we need to, to think, and this is a little bit of a longer question, is how much of God's money that God has given me to manage should I release to God for the sake of his kingdom? doesn't fit real well on a slogan or sure, but that, that's really the question that we need to be asking. And the Bible is filled with the answer to that question. How much of God's money that God has given me to manage should I offer to God for the sake of his kingdom? The Bible's filled with the answer to that question. In fact, if you want to do some research on your own, go on, on Bible Gateway and you can research finance, you can research money, you can research wealth, all of the words that have to do with the financial resources that God has provided and you will find three, 4,000 verses in the Bible that talk about this. God is not ashamed to talk about money, friends, because it's all his, that he's loaned us, and he wants us to use it well, okay? So, so God talks about it all the time. And, and the prevailing theme of scripture all the way through the Old Testament is how much do we release to God for the sake of his kingdom? 10%. That, in fact, you may have heard the word tithe. What tithe literally means is 10%. That's the fraction. So of our income, if I get 100 bucks, 10 of it, I'm immediately releasing to God for the sake of his kingdom. And there are many, many verses about this. I just put one in your verse, Proverbs uh, 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. With the first fruits. And this is an agrarian society. And so literally it's talking about when you, when you harvest, release the first fruits back to God. When you, when you gather in your crop, 10% of that crop immediately goes into the storehouse of the temple. That, that In this agrarian society, that's the, the framework that they were using. And again, it's that tithe all the way through the Old Testament. Then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus affirms the tithe. In Matthew 23, 23, he says, you should tithe. That's a great idea. And then he says, but don't stop there. You should also go after the things of the kingdom, justice and mercy, right? You, you, yes, some, some of you, you think of tithe as, as the finish line. And what Jesus says is, I want you to think of the tithe as the beginning point. 
That's where we start, and then we go on from there to explore how we might manifest God's kingdom wherever we are, whatever we're doing. Yes, we give a, a, a tithe to God, and then the way we steward the other 90% is in a way that honors God. Okay. All right, so, so that's, uh, you know, when we're trying to get our minds around this, that's what the Bible talks about. The, that's kind of the biblical framework. And at Overlake, we have a lot of folks who are very generous. We've got a lot of different ways that, that people can... It, kind of experience generosity at Overlake. So some of you, you give faithfully. We, we pass the offering buckets after a service, and, and some of you write checks, and God bless you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Some of you use the envelopes that are on the seat back in front of you. You use that, and you fill out maybe your, your banking information because you'd like to give with recurring gifts online. God bless you for those of you who do that. How Jody and I give, we give online. So every two weeks or so I go and I pay my bills and the first bill that I pay, it's not even a bill, it's a gift that I give. It's, it's a joy for Jody and I. We just designate 10%, goes right to the church. We're also a part of the Blessing My City campaign. So we give an additional gift on, uh, to, to that campaign as well. But today what I wanna do is, is I want to teach you a new way to give at Overlake. And, and part of the deal, many of you have heard my heart on this over the last couple of years, we just know that we have so many faithful, financially faithful folks, so many generous folks at Overlake, but there are still quite a number of families at Overlake that are not participating in, in, in giving and in generosity. And so this is one of the ways that we've come up with, it's called Text to Give. Now, I, I would not normally do this, but I'm going to ask everyone to grab your phone right now. Could you do that? Just go ahead and grab your phone. If you have the ability to text, grab it. The reason why I want everyone to grab it is because, A, I want to teach everyone, but, B, I, I don't want to single anyone out. So I don't want to steal anyone's reward on this. I just want to show you how easy it is to give. So what you're going to do is you're going to go on your phone to your, to your texting, you know, messaging service, and, and you're going to text this number, 45777. Go ahead and do this. I'm not going to trick you. This is not some gotcha. All of a sudden you're like, oh, they took so much money. You know, no, no, no. You're in charge here. I just want to show you teaching you. So... 45777, and then what you do in, in the message part of it is you just designate the amount that you'd like to give, and then after the amount, write OCC. That's all you do. So go ahead and send that. And again, I'm not, it's not immediately removing your money or anything. It's just a way to teach you. If you hit send on that text, and you can, by the way, you can put any amount. You can put a dollar. It'll work to, uh, as low as a dollar. You could put $100, you could put $100 octillion, that'd, that'd be fine. Um, but whatever you want, just put that and then hit send. Immediately, you'll see a kickback. There'll be, there'll be a response immediately sent to your phone. Okay, are you there? And, and it says this, you're almost done. Finish donation to Overlay Christian Church with this link. Hit that link, and then what that does is it allows you to put in your banking information. Whatever account that you would like to be linked to this text to give service, you go ahead and put th that number in and you put, you'll have to put your, you know, not only your name, but I think it's your email and, and some other things there. So go ahead and, and, and do that if you want. And then after you're done with that, it'll give you a chance to confirm your gift. And so that's when you actually confirm it. And so uh, we're not getting there yet. But again, you're the one who's in charge of all this. Then after you're done with that, what you can do is just save that contact. And what I did is I just saved it as OCC Text Give. That's my, that's my contact so that when I give online. And I, and I say all this, I want you to know, I, I am not very tech savvy. I'm, I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum. My kids are constantly dragging me into the 21st century. 
But on Wednesday, the creative team and I, we all went through this process. And I just want to say, if I can do it, anyone can do it, okay? Like you, I have faith in your mental acuity. You can do this thing. So, so that's a way. And again, we're, our, our, our job is to, to remove as many barriers as we know how to remove that would prevent somebody from getting in on the generous life and, and the financially faithful life that God desires for us to live. I'll close with a story. And I know that if you are a parent, that some version of this story has played itself out in your life. But when I first moved here to, to the Northwest from California, my, my daughter, is, she was four years old. She's actually almost 16 years old now, but she was four years old when we moved here. And her favorite thing to do, if we were driving around doing errands or something, her favorite thing to do was she wanted to go through the Wendy's drive-thru. And, and, and so we'd be out driving around, and I'd say, hey, babe, what, you know, what do you want to do? You want to go to the park? She'd go, Wendy's. So, oh, okay, you know, and, and I'm a good dad. I'm a loving dad. I'm basically an obedient dad to my daughter, and, and uh, I've been wrapped around her finger since day one. And so, so it's like, oh, she wants to go to what? Great. So we'd go to the Wendy's drive-thru. This happened more times than I can tell you. And then I'd say, hey, what, what do you want, sweetheart? And she'd say, fries. And I'm like, I don't know much about nutrition, but they're potatoes, so oh, that sounds good. And so order the fries, and, and then I would, I would hand them back to her in her car seat, in the, in the back seat. And, and as I would hand them back, you know, the smell of those fries, would, I, ooh, ah, this smells kind of good. It would get a little salt on my fingers, and oh, man, that tastes kind of good. And, and just like, you know, maybe many of you as parents, you, I, I would turn and say, hey, sweetheart, let Daddy just have a fry. And she'd be like, no. <laughs> and I, oh, honey, come on. I just, uh, you know, I, let, let me, I just need a fryer, too. I'm not going to take, not a good idea. You know? <laughs> and, and, and then I'd, I'd start begging, sweetheart, please. Like, I, I just I want a fry. Just give me a fry for the love of all that's holy, you know. And, and, and I just want you to see that there, there's a weird thing happening in that context because I gave her the fry. I produced it with the labor of my hand, right, to purchase. And I even physically handed that fry. And beyond the fries, let's be honest, the car seat that she's in and the car that she's in and the bed that she sleeps in and the house that keeps the rain on, everything she has, I have, as her loving father, provided for. And she won't give me a fry, right? Ridiculous. Are you tracking with me? And yet... Some of you treat God just like that. Mine. No. Uh, not a good idea. <laughs> Some of you are like, ooh. I was laughing like two seconds ago. So I'm going to teach you a little phrase, right? I want to I teach you this phrase. I want you to, you can write this down. I want this to sort of gloriously haunt you. But, but the phrase is simple because it gets at the very bottom line of that verse we we're talking about in Timothy about the, the rich who place their trust in riches and the rich who are prone to be proud. And, and, and the idea is you shouldn't place your trust in riches but, but in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. And the bottom line is this. We have this, why should I trust in riches when I can trust the one who richly provides? 
Why should I place my trust in riches? Who would do that? When I can trust the one who richly provides. All right, why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus, we want that question to go with us because we want to trust in you. We want to recognize where we're proud. We want to recognize where we're ungenerous. We want to recognize where we're not good stewards. And Jesus, we don't want to place our trust in the provision when we can place our trust in the provider. We don't want to put our trust in riches when we can trust the one who richly provides everything, everything, everything. So Jesus, thank you for the reminder that you have made it all, that you own it all, that you hold all things together right now. Jesus, we are so thankful for you, the way that you've poured out over us, the way that you've gifted us, the way that you have blessed us. And Jesus, what we want to do is we want to be found faithful. We want to be faithful managers of what you've given us to manage, stewards of what you've given us to steward. We want to be generous, and we want to be financially faithful. Show us how, Lord Jesus. Give us courage and allow us to be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.